Well, hey, good morning, Arbor. How are we? Good. Happy Labor Day weekend to all of you. It's so good to see all of you who are in town. Love all of you. Those who are watching online, we love you too, just not as much. Um, no, we do, right? A little bit, sort of. Um, anyway, today's our last uh, weekend in our series, uh, The Summer on the Mount, where we have been looking at specific, relevant teachings from Jesus through his Sermon on the Mount that really speak pointedly to our increasingly uncertain and divisive times and help us navigate our way forward as a church. And uh, the first week, we learned Jesus' call, his challenging call on our lives uh, to be not peace killers, to be not peacekeepers, but to be what? Peace Peacemakers, that's right. Jesus' call on our lives to go on behalf of others and contend for their true shalom, not merely the absence of conflict, but for their healing and wholeness and, and healthiness in their relationship with God and with others. And in the following week, we, we learned how much uh, we're able to do, that we're able to do more than we can imagine because we're more valuable than we know. Jesus, he calls us salt and he calls us light. And back in Jesus' time, those commodities were tremendously valuable. They might be like really common things now, but back then they were really valuable and to be called salt and to be called light was so important and we learned Jesus calling on our lives to go out into the world and to draw out the best in other people and to work against the brokenness and decay and corruption that we find in this world and and by God's providence the, the following week we were able to go out into our community and practice that and partner with our schools and then last week we gathered back together and received that quite challenging teaching where Jesus calls us not to be uh, people who retaliate, but, but ministers of reconciliation, that Jesus calls us to lay down our right to retaliate because those vicious cycles of, of retaliation and vengeance can only be broken through voluntary acts of love. And so easy stuff so far, right? Easy, non-challenging stuff, and I'm so excited about today's teaching because it's super simple. All Jesus is going to address today are our judgmental hearts. Cool, huh? Like, <laughs> Not a big deal, another easy Sunday. So here we go, Matthew 7. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open those up. Matthew 7, verses one through five, or you can follow along on the screen. Jesus teaching, he says this. He says, do not judge so that you will not be judged. For by the standard you judge, you will be judged. And the measure you use will be the measure you receive. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but fail to see the beam of wood in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye while there is a beam in your own? You hypocrite, first remove the beam from your own eye and then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Simple stuff, right? Easy stuff here. I remember the first, um, one of the first jobs I had after I graduated college, I worked as this part-time worship leader in this small town about an hour and a half outside of Chicago called DeKalb. Any of you heard of DeKalb before? Just Just a a couple of you. And and all I can tell tell you about DeKalb is, is that it's just basically not Chicago. Okay, there's like no big buildings. There's no good coffee shops. Um, Definitely not city folk out in DeKalb. I mean, it is farm country. And so to say that I was out of place would be an understatement there. And so on Sunday mornings, what I would do is I'd wake up at five in the morning and I'd get ready and I'd drive out there in order to get there on time. And so at the time I was only like 22 or 23. So I wasn't going to sleep at like a responsible hour. I was going to bed at like two, waking up at five. I was tired. I was grumpy. I had these high expectations. And so I arrive out there at this church. The worship team shows up and we practice and then the service starts. 
And I remember on this like particular Sunday out there in DeKalb, I had some like really powerful inspirational call to worship, you know, like, like it should have moved people's hearts, like people should have been weeping after I, I, I sort of shared this word from the Lord. And then, and then, then we were leading the music and, and, and we were playing it. And I remember on this particular Sunday, I was like passionately singing and giving it my all. But on this particular Sunday, my attention was drawn to, to a guy who was sitting kind of over in this area. And let me describe this guy to you for a second. He had this really big, bushy mustache, okay? He had these aviator glasses that were like yellow-tinted. Have you ever seen these kinds of glasses before? He had a trucker hat on, and he had like this like work jacket, and his arms were folded, and you could barely see underneath the mustache. His lips were moving, maybe. Maybe he was singing, but I think he was grumbling at whatever I was doing as I was leading worship in jeans that were probably skinnier than his. And, and I thought to myself... I thought to myself, why are you even here? Like, don't, don't you understand who we're worshiping right now? And don't you, don't you know how hard I'm working right now? I mean, the guy was totally killing my vibe. It was ugly, right? Totally ugly, because that's what it was all about, right? And so I get off the stage, and I thought to myself, man, I hope I never see that guy again. Honestly, I know it's bad. I'm being honest with you. It's, it's bad. And, and so I get off and the, the, the pastor preaches and we get up and do one more song. And, and I just thought then, I was like, I just want to get home. I want to get home to my wife. I want to, I want to you know, get out of there. And so I pack up my guitar. And, and, and as I'm packing things up, uh, I, I have, feel someone tapping on my shoulder and saying, excuse me. And I turn around and, and, and guess who it was? Yeah, bushy mustache trucker hat guy is right there. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, what is he going to say to me now? What kind of critique is he going to offer? And, 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 and I could see through his glasses, those yellow-tinted aviator glasses, I could see tears in his eyes. And he said to me, I, I just want to tell you thank you. Thank you for the way that you led worship this morning. I'm going through a really difficult season right now. And, and I just, I really needed that. And I just... I felt like trash. <laughs> I felt like garbage because I had just judged that guy so hard in that moment. And I drove back and I was just weeping in shame the whole way home because I just, I felt terrible. Have you ever done that before? You ever judged someone before? Yeah? I know you have because you're human beings, right? We all do it. Have you ever had it happen to you before? Because if you have, you know how terrible it feels. And yet, for some reason, as human beings, it's our natural inclination to judge other people. To, to do what is essentially God's job. And, and, and when we try to do that, we do such a miserable job at it. And, and, and so what's Jesus getting at here in this teaching when he, when he calls us not to judge and I think simply put, what Jesus is, is trying to get at here and what we'll see in this passage is this, that our harshest judgments reveal our deepest insecurities. Our harshest judgments reveal our deepest insecurities. And we might hate that we judge other people, but more often than not, we judge other people to, com to, to compensate for some insecurity inside of us. Some deficiency that lies deep down inside of our own hearts. And Jesus, it goes without saying, is 1,000% against this. He's so against this because it goes against everything he's called us to be as citizens of his new kingdom. 
He's called us to be kind. He's called us to be peacemakers. He's called, out, he, he's called us to draw out the best in others and to work against the brokenness and corruption in this world. And so nowhere on the job description for a follower of Jesus Christ is, is, is a call to judge other people. And yet we're all guilty of this, aren't we? So let's look a little more closely at this teaching of Jesus. Let's look at verses one and two right now. Jesus says this again. He says, do not judge so that you will not be judged. For by the standard you judge, you will be judged. And the measure you use will be the measure you receive. So do not judge. Uh, I'm sure many of us are familiar with this teaching, even if, even if we're new to church, even if this is your first time here. We've all heard this teaching. Don't judge others. I'm sure we've seen it on someone's tattoo, like only God can judge me. This is kind of a thing, right? Don't judge other people. And yet I think this, this teaching right here can get a little confusing, it can, get, it can get confusing because this word judge in the Greek is this little word krino. And if you look throughout the New Testament, it actually carries with it three different senses. And one sense that we see is in John um, 18.31. John 18.31, Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate and, and it's on Good Friday and Pilate says to the Jewish leadership, he says, take him yourselves and pass judgment on him according to your own law. So one sense of this word judge is to judge someone in the court of law. There's this famous famous Russian Russian writer, writer, Leo Leo Tolstoy, when he he was was writing about the Sermon on the Mount, he said that when Jesus said, do not judge, what Jesus was doing was he was abolishing all courts of law. And I like Leo Tolstoy, I think he's a great writer, but right here, I think he's wrong. This is not what Jesus is getting at right here. But then there's another sense that this word judge is used, and we see this in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 14 and 15. And Paul writes this. He says, therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. And so this sense of of the word judge here, we have to ask ourselves, is Paul working against Jesus here? Paul's calling us to judge. And what does Paul mean right here? Well, simply put, every single day, we make hundreds of decisions and judgments and and we use discernment to, to figure out what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong, even simple judgments. Like if I were to ask you, well, what color is the sky? You would look up and, and you would say, well, it's, it's blue or it's gray or it's black. We, we judge those things. And so in that sense, in this sense of the word, that's not what Jesus is getting at. We're called to do this. And so then what exactly is Jesus getting at when he says, do not judge? What's Jesus mean? I think he means this third sense of the word judge. We see this in Romans 2. We see this in 1 Corinthians 4. Romans 2, Paul writes this. He says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who, because you who pass judgment do the same things. And, and so listen, the third meaning, the third sense of this word judge means making a determination about someone and their motives and it carries with it a sense of condemnation. And when you make this judgment about a person and their motives and and why they're doing what they're doing, you are passing this condemnation. You are determining them to be less than because of what they're doing. And when we do this, we step in and do God's job, and that's not right. We see judge used again in 1 Corinthians 4. 
And so in the very same letter, Paul is using this word in different senses. And in 1 Corinthians 4, he writes this. He says, therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. And so simply put, here's what Jesus is telling us not to do. He's saying don't draw a conclusion about the motives of someone else's heart. Don't do that. Don't draw conclusions about the motives of someone else's heart. That is God's job. That is not our job. Don't don't come to conclusion about the intentions of someone else, the motives of their heart, and in your mind, label that person as as less than, as wrong, or as, as deficient, because when we do that, we step into God's arena, and we're gonna be judged by that very same standard, and yet we... We do this all the time, don't we? All, all the time. I remember a few months ago, um, I, we were still in Michigan, my whole family, and I was driving to work, and I was filling the car up with, with gas, and the radio was on, which is weird because I like, never listened to the radio, but it was one of those morning shows where there's like those hosts that are overly caffeinated and like really aggressive and annoying and whatnot, and they were on this radio station, and I was listening to them, and, and they had asked this question. They had posed this question to the listeners, and they asked them to call in, and the question was, what do you judge other people for? And I thought to myself, I have to listen to this. Are you interested in what they said, what their responses were? One, one lady, she called in and she, she said, listen, I, I don't like that I do this, but I judge other people if they have crazy hair or like different colored hair. I don't know why. I just see someone and I think that, you know, that person is, you know, weird or crazy and I judge them for their hair. And so that was like the first caller. The second guy, he called in and he was like, um, I judge people who don't hold the door open for other people. And then he went on and he's like, I consider those kinds of people morally bankrupt, right? What? <laughs> That's, that's a pretty big statement, right? And, and now, the third person, and I deeply resonated with this, okay? The third person, they called in, and they're like, I judge other people who don't return their shopping carts. And I hollered out, I said, amen. <laughs> like, the caddy is right there for you. Like, like how, how lazy can you be? You are the lowest of the, you are a drain on society if you do not return your shopping carts. Do you see, there's judgmental heart right there just pouring out. It's true. Forgive me, Lord. Let's bring this a little closer to home, though, because it's safe to say that we all fall into this trap of judging others, yeah? It's true. We, we do this all the time, and we judge other people for so many different things, and so I'm just going to go through a few things that we might judge others for, and as I'm going through this list, just make a little check in your mind, like, yeah, I do that, or, or maybe, maybe it might inspire just some other things in your mind or your heart where you judge other people for. One thing that we judge other people for is their education. Don't we judge other people for their education, their lack thereof, or maybe they are highly educated? For instance, some of us those of us who graduated high school and maybe we had the privilege of going to college and we got more education even beyond that, we'll meet someone who has less education than us and we'll sort of deem them as less than. It's not like we'll be explicitly mean to them, but we'll just think that their opinion doesn't matter as much, that they're uneducated. But the flip side can be true as well, right? Like maybe we see someone with a lot of education and, and we think that they think more highly of themselves than they ought or, or we can, you know, they consider themselves elite or more powerful because they have that education and we judge them, right, still based on an insecurity in our own hearts. We judge other people on education. We also judge other people for their age. Do we not? 
We judge other people for their age and, and, and maybe we see someone who's older than us and age is relative, right? Like this could be me and someone who's much older than me. It could be my kids looking at me and my age and we might think, well, that person is irrelevant. They don't understand my world. They don't understand this culture. And so we, we dismiss their opinions or their thoughts and we judge them and consider them less than, but the flip side can be true as well, right? We might be older and we might be around younger people and we think that they're naive or inexperienced and lack wisdom and so we dismiss their opinions and we judge them. We judge people based on their age. Here's the third one and this one might get a little spicy so we're gonna move through it fast, okay? We judge others based on their political opinions, don't we? That's it, next one. Um, no. Um, we do, right? Right? Like if you're a Democrat, you know, you look at a Republican and you're like, how can you be a Republican? Don't you care about the poor? Don't you care about the environment? Or maybe you're a Republican and you look at a Democrat and you think, how can you be a Christian and support that candidate? Don't you care about the unborn? Don't you care about the principles and values this country was founded upon? And, and we judge others for those things. And if you feel like your heart is racing right now and your blood pressure is going up, maybe this is your thing, right? I don't know. Let's move on, okay? We judge others based on their appearance, don't we? Just like that woman who judged other people for their for the crazy hair, we judge other people based on their appearance. And maybe we consider ourselves more of like a put-together, well-dressed sort of person and, and, and we see someone who, who doesn't care about their appearance or their clothes and we think that they're less than. But the flip side can be true as well. Maybe we see someone who's really well-dressed and we're like, wow, I can't imagine spending all that money on those clothes. I mean, there's so many other ways you can use your money for the poor and we could give it away. And, but we judge other people based on their appearance. A funny story about this, about like 16, 17 years ago in Chicago, Carrie and I were going into a nicer neighborhood in the city to go out to eat somewhere. And I remember pulling my car up uh, into this spot and uh, man, back then I was driving like this old 1994 Dodge Spirit. It was really, really nice. And, um, and, uh, and I pulled, I, I wasn't sure whether or not I had to feed the meter or whether I could park on this part of the road. And I remember distinctly what I was wearing this day. And this will make sense in just a second. I was wearing these like old, worn out brown corduroys, these janky flip-flops, and this like bright turquoise shirt I got at Goodwill, okay? And I'm, I'm, I'm by my car and I'm trying to figure out whether or not I can park here on this side of the road. And so I, I, I look and I see and there's this businesswoman, this really nicely dressed businesswoman and she's walking by and I thought, you know what, I can ask her. I can ask her whether or not I can park here. And so I turn to her and I say, excuse me, ma'am, do you know, and before I could even get the full question out of my mouth, she started walking faster and she said, no, no, I don't have any money. She thought I was begging. That's when I realized I needed to get new pants. Um, but I didn't. Um, it's in our DNA to judge other people. And I believe what Jesus is getting at uh, in this teaching is that our harshest judgments reveal our deepest insecurities. And I think we see this most clearly and most pointedly in verses three through five. So look there again. Jesus, he teaches this little parable now and he says this. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but fail to see the beam of wood in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye while there is a beam in your own? You hypocrite. First remove the beam from your own eye, and then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And, and 
And so what, what, what Jesus is saying here is he, he starts in verses one and two. He says, don't judge. Don't judge. And then in verses three through five, I think he gives this little parable that back then might have been a little comical to them. Like, like the illustration is like this. And this is a little dangerous, but I'm gonna use it anyway. It's like, this is how preposterous it would be. And it's almost childish. It's like you have this plank in your eye, right? Anyone getting scared right now as I am with this thing near my eye? And it's like you're, you're, you're walking around and everyone notices this and everyone can see it. And it's like going up and it's being like, hey, Alex, Alex, hey, um, you've, it looks like you've got a little speck in your eye. Um, if you, yeah, yeah, if you get that out, yeah. If you want to be a good person, if you want to be a good Christian, you're going to want to get that out of your eye. Cool? All right, great. And Jesus is saying, how ridiculous is it if we walk around with a plank like this in our eye and Jesus is saying, get, get rid of that, right? Fix yourself first. Go to God and get the plank, the beam, that wood out of your own eye before you turn to your friend and try to call out the speck in their eye. Like, who are we to think? Who are we to think that we can effectively help others deal with and process and repent and work on their own faults and failures and shortcomings when when we haven't even worked on our own faults and failures and shortcomings ourselves? Who are we to think that we can do that? I love the way that David uh, puts it in Psalm 51. He writes this. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. In other words, David is saying, fix me first, God. Fix me first. And then he says in verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. And so, so here he's saying, God, fix me first and then, and then I can go out and rightly teach others. This is exactly what Jesus is saying in verse five. First remove that beam. First remove that beam from your own eye and then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We have to first deal with the mess that's going on inside of our own hearts before we can really effectively, truly deal with the messes around us, yeah? You know, in, in John's gospel, in chapter eight, uh, there's this story, and Jesus is in the temple, and it's early in the morning, and, and people are gathering around Jesus, and he's meeting with them, and he's talking to them, and he's teaching them, and around this same time, a group of religious leaders, they approach Jesus as well, uh, but they don't approach Jesus to learn from him or, or, or to engage with him in any sincere way. Um, they bring with him this woman. Yeah, do you know this story? This woman that they somehow caught in adultery. And how they caught her, we don't know. But they bring this woman and they throw this woman before Jesus. And they say, Jesus, we caught this woman. And because of what this woman was doing, the scriptures say that, that she should be killed. What do you say, Jesus? Do you remember what Jesus does next? He, he bends down, right? He bends down and he starts to draw in the ground. And we don't know, he wrote what, we don't know what he wrote, we don't know what he was drawing, we don't know what was going on there. But he, but he draws in the ground and then he stands up, right? And then what does he say? We do know this. He says this. He says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And do you know what happened next? Those men, each of them, dropped their stones one by one and they, 
eventually all left. And then Jesus, he turned to that woman and he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and do not sin again. You see, Jesus didn't just teach this. He didn't just preach this. Jesus practiced this way. He lived this out. And and can I remind us all of something here in this room? That for those of us who have received the grace and mercy and forgiveness and kindness of Jesus, the same way Jesus was to that woman is the same way he's been to you. I can imagine there are different um, seasons and circumstances in all of our lives where we were not the people we wanted to be, yeah? Decisions that we were making that we now look back on and we regret. Hard seasons, difficult seasons, And I can almost guarantee you that the thing that that propelled you out of that season, the thing that gave you the courage to step out of that way of living was not a harsh word of judgment, but it was mercy, it was kindness, it was love, it was grace. You know, like 10 years ago, um, my wife Carrie and I, we were living in North Carolina and uh, our kids were pretty little back then. They were four, two, and our youngest, Eleanor, might have been a few months old. And um, Ethan and Miles, our oldest, they were four and two. Um, you know, parents of young children. Uh, man, it was so hard to put them to bed and keep them in bed. Anyone else in that stage right now where you're just like, oh my goodness, stay in your beds. And it, this was like an every night affair. Like we would go up there and we would pray with them and we, re- we would read stories to them and we would sing with them and then we'd tuck them in and we'd go downstairs exhausted and tired and we lived in this old house, this house built in like the 1920s and so you could hear every creak and every movement in this house and we'd go downstairs, we'd sit down and then all of a sudden we hear that thud and the, you know, like the, the feet running across and we'd be like, oh my goodness, So we'd go back up and we'd usually give them a warning and we'd say, hey, listen, we love you guys, but you need to stay in bed and we'd put them in bed. We'd say, if you do it again, though, there's gonna be a consequence. There's gonna be discipline and they'd kind of get a little teary-eyed and they'd be like, okay, yeah, mom, all right, dad, we'll stay in bed this time and then we'd go downstairs and sure enough, that thud and the do-do-do-do-do and they'd be walking around again. And so on this one particular night, I was like so exhausted and I was getting so frustrated. And as a parent, like you never want a parent from that place of anger or frustration, right? And so I go up there and I'm just tired and Miles had already fallen asleep. This was Ethan tonight. Ethan was just out of bed constantly. And so I'm tired, I'm exhausted and I just sit him on the bed. And we're sitting, like here I am, like almost 30 years old with this four-year-old, we're having like this man-to-man talk. And I'm like, Ethan, I am exhausted, I am so tired, and you know that I love you, but you are being so disobedient right now. And like you've earned consequences, you've earned discipline. But but here's what I wanna tell you right now, Ethan. I love you, and I'm gonna show you grace right now. I'm gonna give you grace, because I've made decisions that have earned consequences and discipline, but because Jesus loves me, he's shown me forgiveness, he's shown me mercy, he's shown me grace, and I'm gonna show you that grace too. Okay, Ethan? That was just like a last resort parenting move. I was like, Jesus, help me right now. And, and so we pray, and, and, and he gets in his bed, and, and by some miracle of the Lord, he falls asleep, right? So the next morning, this is where it gets really cool. The next morning I get up and I go to work and Carrie said Ethan came downstairs and he was like so happy. He was so full of joy. 
And he was like being so kind to his little brother. He was being so kind to his little sister. He was being polite to Carrie. And Carrie's like, Ethan, like, why are you so happy right now? And Ethan said this. He said, because daddy gave me grace. Because daddy gave me grace. Where would we be without the grace of God? Where would we be without the grace of God? The point of Jesus' teaching today is that it is impossible for us to know the motives and intentions of other people's hearts. Heck, it's, it's, it's hard for us to know our own motives and intentions, right? And yet in our broken motives and broken intentions, Jesus meets us with grace and with love and with mercy. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, your job, your job is not to pass judgment on other people. Your job is to go to Jesus with that plank, with that beam, again and again and again, and claim that forgiveness, claim that grace, claim that mercy, because it's then and only then that we will be able to see clearly that we'll be able to see our neighbor's true need, see our spouse's need, see our children's need, see our coworkers' need. And listen, when we're able to see clearly, what we'll see is that the last thing they need is a harsh word of judgment. What they need is the same grace and mercy and kindness and forgiveness that we've received, Amen. Would God give us the strength and the humility to be able to show that mercy, that kindness to others? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this whole Sermon on the Mount, this collection of teachings from your son. Lord, would you help us to um, learn well from it, to... uh, walk in this way of Jesus. Lord, the way is challenging, the way is hard, Uh, but you say your burden is easy. And so, Lord, we trust you in that. We trust you that this way of Jesus is a better and truer way to live life here on earth. Lord, would you help us as a people, as a church, Lord, as arbor, God, would you help us to be peacemakers? Would you help us, God, to uh, be salt and light would you help us to be people who, who lay down our right to retaliate, God? And, and, and from what we've learned today, God, would you help us to, to lay aside our desire to judge others? Lord, this morning, God, I, I know that many of us come to you with, with planks, with beams in our own eyes. I pray that your spirit, as it, as it challenges us, as it convicts us, God, would we bring those things before you right now? Whatever, is it, that, whatever that thing is, Lord, that is on our heart right now, would we bring that before you? Would your spirit give us eyes to see what that thing is, Lord? We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy, Jesus. We thank you that we can come and return to you again and again with that plank, with that beam, and that you will remove it. And as you do, God, I pray that you would give us all eyes to see our neighbor's needs, Would we be agents of of grace, of mercy, sharing the truth of your way, Jesus, of who you are? Because where would we be without your grace, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.